you're not in one, so that you can connect with other believers. I'm going to just talk to you for a couple minutes here. Number one, the playground isn't complete, but it is open. That had been a great place to clap right there. It's been two steps forward, one and a half steps backward to get it done. And so that'll be open and available to your children. And today we're going to ask you, rather than just congregating in the lobby, if you'd go out and congregate under the canopy, grab a cup of coffee, stand out there, watch the kids play. And uh, we've got free ice cream for everybody today. So if your children are elementary or younger, we want to make sure we respect your dietary uh, desires for your children. So you need to go and get their ice cream, okay? I don't want to send them home with four ice cream bars and then a call in the afternoon, why is my child throwing up, all right? So you've got to go with them and get their ice cream. Above that, junior high and high school, um, we will monitor them, but the elementary ones, make sure that you come with them. And we're just going to have a great time to celebrate. We want this to be a place where families have fun and where kids see Berean as a fun place to come. So help us do that. Also, I just want to challenge you. I try to say thank you at the end of the service for your giving. And while I'm, uh, I'll continually do that, I just want to let you know that August was a tough month. We were way down in giving. And to remind you that God blesses givers. How many of you believe that to be true? And however you do it doesn't matter. The method doesn't matter. It's the action that matters. So as you give, whether it's online or you're doing it um, through the mail or dropping it in the offering box when you're here, thank you so much for your consistency and faithfulness in giving, enabling us to continue to move forward. Also, you'll see a sign up in the lobby for your fall youth convention. I'm sure those of you that need to know do know, but stop by today and make sure you do that, all right? Enough announcements for today. We're continuing in our series on redemption, rescue the perishing, living in a world that is rapidly walking away from faith. I read an article uh, just yesterday that talks about how the decline of spirituality is growing in America, and some are projecting that by the year 2070, those who claim faith in Jesus in our country could be as low as 35% at the rate of decline. We have a job to do. We can curse the darkness or we can light candles. And there are those who have once walked with us that walk away, and we need to have an answer for them. We've talked about a number of those issues. And this morning, we're going to talk about one that's come up on a regular basis. It's come up in people I've talked to. I'm sure you've heard it before. If God is so good... Why is there so much suffering? How many have heard that question asked? If God is so good, why is there so much suffering? And you might have wondered about it too. And so I can't answer all those questions, but I'd like to give you a framework on which to hang the discussion that you can prepare yourself to respond and maybe answer some of the questions that you have. Why does God allow, and you can fill in the blank, why does God allow natural disasters? Why does God allow children to be abused? Why does God allow horrific crimes? Why does God allow disease? Why does God allow death? Why does God allow Nebraska to win when Iowa loses? It's equal time. Remember, I get the microphone last. 
There are all kinds of things that will create questions in your mind. And I get that. I, I, I look at things that happen that I don't want them to happen. People do horrific things. The, the natural world does terrible things. People that are displaced by tsunamis, by hurricanes, by tornadoes, by fire. A number of things we could talk about. Why does God allow that to happen? God could stop it, couldn't he? He's all powerful. If he didn't want it to happen, he could just put it to an end. He could make it all stop. And then I also will hear this. I don't believe in God because I was in a bad place and I prayed and he didn't answer. Well, let me tell you what that really means. God always answers. But when someone says that what they mean is, I asked and God didn't give me what I wanted. I didn't get the answer that I wanted. Because of suffering, some believers walk away, and I believe we need a biblical theology of suffering. It's a complicated question, and we live with some assumptions that I think we have to revisit and rethink through. We have an assumption as believers that Christians will have an easier life here. I mean, we proclaim that, you know, just live right, do the right things, and God's going to lift all your burdens and your troubles. We have an assumption that Christians will have an easier afterlife, and I believe that's true. But we can do that to the exclusion or the neglect of what's happening in the world today. Some would have us believe that we shouldn't have to suffer. Jesus took our suffering on the cross. Why should we have to suffer? He pay, suffer. He paid it. Why should it still exist on planet Earth? And what we tend to do when that happens is we offer cheap platitudes. We say to people when someone dies that you've loved and cared about and your heart is broken and you come to the service and some well-meaning believer says, well, we can rejoice they're in a better place. I know they're in a better place, but that doesn't take away the pain I'm feeling in the moment. Anybody hear what I'm saying? Everything happens for a purpose. Well, then let it happen to you. Or, I love this one, God won't give you more than you can handle. What a cheap shot at somebody going through the fire of affliction. I read this quote from Wade Bearden's book. Listen to this. The church will always experience a faith crisis anytime it frames Christianity in terms of its personal benefits. The church will always experience a faith crisis Anytime it frames Christianity in terms of its personal benefits. Ray Comfort has used the illustration numerous times to flesh that out a little bit. Imagine that you're on an aircraft, you're flying across the United States, and the flight attendant comes down the aisle and hands you a parachute and says, put this on. It will make your life better. You will enjoy the flight more if you're wearing this parachute. And so you put it on your back and you can't relax and you're leaning forward and your back's getting cramped and it's uncomfortable and it's not making your flight better. So you throw it off. But imagine if the flight attendant says to you, we have four engines. Two of them have failed and a third one is sputtering. In a moment, we may have to jump out of the plane, put on this parachute. 
how many are going to put on the parachute? Sure, it makes your life better if the plane goes down, but when we characterize Christianity as simply, if you love and follow Jesus, your life will be more fun, it'll be more exciting, it'll be better. And we leave out a theology of suffering. We leave people in that first category on the plane. This isn't helping me. But if they know the plane's about to crash, all of a sudden it takes on another significance. And we all know, how many of you would be willing to admit that since coming to Christ, following Jesus has not made all your pain go away. Why can't we be honest about that? We're afraid that it won't sell, that someone won't believe it if we say, come to Jesus and you'll continue to suffer. Maybe we need a better understanding of what suffering is in this world so we have a healthier answer that will help them and might even help us in our crisis moment. If God is so great, why is there so much suffering in this world? And there are answers to that. I want to give you a framework. Number one, suffering is universal. Suffering is universal. Romans chapter 8 verse 22 says, For we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. This world is broken and we broke it. Imagine if your child was given a gift by you that was extremely valuable and breakable. And you thought they were ready to hold it. And when you gave it to them, they held it and didn't pay attention to you and threw it on the ground and shattered it. And then you're told you're a terrible parent because your child shattered the gift. When you were there putting all the parameters around, giving all the explanations, we have responsibilities for our own actions and everyone else has responsibility for theirs. Now, if you said to them, here's a beautiful uh, vase worth $100,000, throw it on the floor and let's see if it breaks. Yeah, that's dumb. And you're responsible for that. But everyone has the freedom to make choices. I got my license when I was 16. I had my first car. Are you ready for this? It was a 1960. Four Ford Falcon light blue four door six cylinder, the car that no teenager wants to drive. <laughs> I had driver's ed, my parents had driven with me, I was given a license, everyone said I was ready to go, and I had passed all of the exams. First day driving this car by myself. I drove to a place called Morgan Creek Park outside of Cedar Rapids and had my sister and two of her friends with me and we're driving back and we came to Edgewood Road on Cedar Rapids that has these big hills, it's a four lane, and I pulled out thinking that no one was coming and found out there was someone coming when it T-boned my car and totaled my Ford Falcon. I was glad for that. No, I wasn't either. I was glad no one was hurt. But you know what? That was, that was a failure on the part of my parents. That was a failure on the part of driver's ed. That was a failure on the part of the government. That was a failure on the part of the licensing division of the DOT. Because it can't be my fault. It has to be theirs. Are you hearing me now? 
suffering is universal. And it isn't God that broke our world. We broke our world. Come on, someone help me right now. We broke our world. When God created the world, it was created perfect. He stepped back and looked at his creation, and at each step of the way, he said, it is good. When he created man, it is very good. And then on the seventh day, he rested. He made it perfect. Adam and Eve were in the garden, and they were there with everything they could possibly need, all of their needs taken care of, and God fellowshiped with them and walked with them in the cool of the day. It was beautiful. It was exquisite. It was unbelievable, the joy and peace there was only one thing they had to do stay away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because this people that God had created would not serve him because they had to he created a people that would serve him because they chose to and there had to be a test and mankind failed and when mankind failed not only did mankind fall but the world fell the Lord said to the serpent I will put enmity between you and the woman between her offspring your offspring and hers, that battle between the devils started that day. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pain in childbearing. Childbearing pain started that day. With pain, you will give birth to your children. Your desire will be to your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, curse is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles that began that day. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. This world is broken because we broke it. We broke it. Since then, everyone suffers. Suffering is part of the human experience. And I'm thankful that I can assure you that God put some limits on that. And you can see that when the children of Israel were in Egypt's bondage and God is releasing them through the 10 plagues. There were some plagues that didn't touch them. When they put the blood on the doorpost and on the lintel, the death angel passed over. But there were other plagues that they suffered right along the Egyptians. Consequence of judgment. Scripture talks much to us about how to handle our suffering, but it never talks about how to escape our suffering. So we want to make sense out of the senseless. Another author said, it is impossible to nail down exactly what type of life a God follower will live. There are rich believers and poor believers. There are kings and there are shepherds. There are doctors and blue-collar workers. For some, their faith leads them to the palace. For others, it leads them to the prison. Some experience miracles and some do not. And we know that's what the Bible teaches us in Hebrews chapter 11. Some, through faith, conquered kingdoms, administered justice, shut the mouth of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned into strength to became power in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again, but others were tortured, refused to be released, faced jeers and flogging, chained and put in prison, stoned, sawn in two, put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and ill-treated. They wandered in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. They were all They were all, they were all commended for their faith. 
Life cannot make sense by examining a single point in time. It rains on the just and on the unjust. It's the nature of this world. And Peter writes, don't be surprised when you're in the fiery trial. Dear friends, don't be surprised by the fiery trial you're going through as if something wrong or strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised. You see, Christian faith isn't about the elimination of our struggles. It's about overcoming in the midst of them. Did we forget that Jesus suffered? He suffered terribly on earth. Hunger, rejection, betrayal, mockery, persecution, and crucifixion. If the goal had been to eliminate suffering, he would have done that because he modeled for us what a spirit-filled human being would look like. And Jesus endured it, overcame it, conquered it, but he certainly didn't escape from it. He says to us, come to me, all you that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus didn't come to eliminate pain and suffering. He came to give us peace in the midst of the storm and to give us hope in spite of the circumstances around us that there is something supernatural above the struggles of this world that we can believe in and aspire to. You see, what we fail to understand or fail to consider is that maybe God has a plan bigger than our present existence. Maybe he's doing something in the midst of all this that's beyond our ability to see. Maybe there's something about to happen or that he's trying to accomplish. If there is a God and we are going through suffering, could it very well be that God has a bigger plan in mind? That there's something happening that we don't understand or see and that we need to trust? That the author and finisher of our faith knows what he's doing and he has something powerful that he wants to bring out of even our times of struggle? Why do you believe that? Because he said he's coming back. He said he's coming back. So what I want you to see, first of all, is that suffering's universal. We broke this world, and in this broken world, we have to deal with those consequences, even as believers. I've heard people try to teach that when you become a Christian, the curse of sin is removed. That isn't true. The curse of the law is removed. But I've never met a Christian yet that didn't have thorns in their garden. I've never met a Christian woman yet who said, yeah, we prayed and there was no pain in childbirth. I've heard men who said it can't be that bad and they're in the cemetery. I've never met a Christian yet who worked and didn't sweat. I've met some who didn't work and didn't sweat, but I've never met any. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We are also living in a world where creation is groaning and travailing. And that's not the end of the story. It's a chapter in the bigger book. And we want to get to the last chapter, absolutely. But we're not living there yet. We're living in the present chapter, which means we're going to deal with a broken world. Second, I want you to consider that suffering has a source. And it's important to begin to look at the source of suffering. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. If he sows to the flesh, he will of the flesh reap corruption. If he sows to the spirit, he'll reap life everlasting. We will reap what we sow. What is the source? And I want you to consider four possible sources of suffering because it makes a difference how you respond to your suffering if you can identify the source, if you can identify where it comes from. Do you know that sin can be a source of suffering? 
sin is sometimes a source of suffering. In what is called hemardiology or the theology of sin, there are two kinds of penalty for sin that are discussed theologically. And one of those is the moral or natural penalty of sin and then the positive penalty of sin. What does that mean? It means that when you live contrary to God's plan for mankind, there will be negative consequences that are associated with that. That's not a penalty of God imposing. It's a penalty that you've chosen to live contrary to the way that you were created. And when you live contrary to the way that you were created, there'll be consequences that accompany that. I, um, my wife and I watched uh, those, those cars that work like boats. Have you seen those? You know, you can drive it on the road, ducks or whatever, and drive it into the water and, and away they go. So I thought I'd try that. I didn't really, but what would happen with my car? I can pray over it, I can confess it, I can insist on it and say this will work, but if I use my car contrary to what it was created for, I'm gonna ruin the car. Hello? There are certain things that are constant. I'm gonna tell you right now that, that if you throw gas on a fire, it's going to explode. And if you're a Christian standing too close, you will get burned. I could say something here that I won't, but when we, when we go to my wife's um, mother, my mother and my wife's mother's place, there's usually a burn pile to deal with. And it's hard on a big burn pile to get it going. So normally we'll use old motor oil because it burns slower. But if you don't have old motor oil, how do you know gas will always burn? So I want you to imagine we have a burn pile that's probably 12 feet high and who knows how big around. And we climbed up there and we put gas on it. And then we did a gas wick. Now, what I wanted to do was saturate it with gas, as much gas we needed, get back with a burning arrow. I thought that'd be really cool. Let's video that. But it works on TV, doesn't it? They'll do a, an arson, we'll set something with gas, and then do a gas fuse, and you just light it, right? And it works. Well, we couldn't find it, so what do you do? You just put on more gas. And we did another gas fuse. Do you know what's happening in all that time? The gas is evaporating, creating a very explosive cloud of fumes. And we have a torch, and my brother-in-law is going along, and he said, the last thing I remember <laughs> is him saying, it's here, some boom! I felt the concussion, and my body isn't moving, but my brain is saying, you should be running right now. <laughs> I looked at my brother-in-law, who was wearing a stocking cap. <clears throat> His eyebrows were gone. <laughs> the hair was burned off around his cap, and the sides of his nose were blistered. Now, we met well, and we're Christians, but we still suffer the consequences of our behavior. Is there anyone in the house now? That's not God's fault. That's less than intelligent. (laughs) 
there are consequences to our choices. And sin, you say, well, sin is what God doesn't want me to do. No, sin is what will destroy you. And the owner's user's manual tells you the kinds of things to stay away from, lest it have a negative impact. You know, right, that chewing tobacco creates a greater risk of cancer. How many know that? That smoking creates a greater risk of cancer. We could go through a number of situations that sin has suffering attached to it by moral penalty. We, it, we are living in a way contrary to how we were designed. And when you use it contrary to how it's designed, any product will have negative consequences. There's also a positive penalty, a punishment for sin, physical death, spiritual death, and hell. God puts judgment on sin. Why? Because it's intended to be a deterrent and a call back to God. So if sin is the ultimate source of your suffering, then maybe I need to deal with that specific source. How do I do that? I do that by repenting. Mankind makes choices, and there are consequences that go with those choices. Second, suffering can have a demonic source. Now, I'm not um, an alarmist, nor am I a super spiritual person looking for a devil behind every bush, but I will tell you that Job's physical suffering was a direct result of a satanic attack. There's a man who brings his son to Jesus who's tormented of the devil. And while it may look to you like epilepsy, it's a recognition of scripture that that young boy was under demonic attack. It was a satanic manifestation in his life. There's a woman who for 18 years was bound over with a spirit of infirmity. So sin can be a source of suffering, but the demonic can also be a source of suffering. And we have been given armor for battle. If it's sin, then repent. If it's the devil, then put on your armor and fight back. And you're not going to learn how to fight and be an overcomer without a battle. Suffering can have a demonic source. Third, suffering can have a natural source. We live in a world with sickness and infirmity, with viruses and diseases, genetic disorders. Things happen in this broken world, and that's not the judgment of God. It is a consequence of a broken world, and things don't always go the way that we want them to go. And here's what I do know. We serve a God who walks with us, who comforts and strengthens, and he does heal. But if you go out in a snowstorm wearing t-shirt and shorts and barefoot, don't blame God when and you have frostbite and have your limbs amputated. Because there are certain issues that happen just because sickness is in this world. It is a real issue to deal with. Fourth, suffering can have a divine source. Have you ever thought about that? Suffering can actually be released in your life by God when it purifies and strengthens faith, the fiery trial of your faith, though it be much more precious than gold which perishes, that it's the fire of trial that purifies our faith. Suffering creates a unique intimacy with Jesus. 
that we may know him in the power of his resurrection and fellowship of his suffering. And I can tell you, when we went through the days of our child's passing, I learned things about God that I don't ever want to learn again that way, but I learned things I wouldn't have learned any other way. There are things that are learned by experience that aren't learned by reading. There was a walk with him I discovered that I didn't know existed. Is anyone hearing me now? There's a fellowship, an intimacy with Jesus. Suffering creates empathy for others who suffer. I will tell you after our son died, I've never done a funeral the same. I've never responded to people who've suffered loss the same. Before I understood by observation, but afterwards I understood by empathy. And the Bible says that he comforts us in our affliction so that we can comfort others who are afflicted. It creates a place for you to be able to serve that you can't discover any other way. You say, well, should I be asking for that? No, goofball. (laughs) But there are times God will allow you to go into suffering because he knows he can use you to reach someone else who will be in that same pit that might not get out. Suffering can provide a platform for the glory of God. Who did sin, master? This man or his parents that is born blind. And Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents, but that the glory of God might be revealed in him. That sometimes out of the crucible of suffering comes the most incredible testimonies of faith in Jesus Christ. Anyone can serve him in trusting when the sun is shining. But read Fox's Book of Martyrs. Read about the persecuted church. And the testimony of faith that rises out of the ashes that cannot be discounted or disputed. Suffering also points us to heaven. It makes us long to leave this place and go to a better one. So what should I do? What should be my response if it has a divine source? Listen for the voice of God. Submit to what he's doing and follow his leadership because it's never the will of God that you stay in the place of suffering, but that he bring you to the place of victory. So how you deal with suffering depends directly on where it comes from. If it's sin, repent. If it's demonic, war against it. If it's natural, you have authority in Jesus' name. And if it's from from God, then let it purge and purify and strengthen you and come out better on the other side. Aragorn, in Return of the King from Lord of the Rings, makes this statement. I just want you to hear the statement. His grief he will not forget, but it will not darken his heart. It will teach him wisdom. I want to read that again. I want you to hear what, in Return of the King, Aragorn says. His grief he will not forget, but it will not darken his heart. It will teach him wisdom. Suffering has a source. Identify it. And last, hopefully it gets better here. (laughs) Suffering does have a remedy. I said, suffering does have a remedy. The Bible tells us in 
Revelation chapter 7, verse 17. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them in springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Those that are delivered out of the great tribulation will have their pain washed away. In chapter 21, the Bible says, I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice um, from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them and they will be his people and God will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I'm alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He overcomes, will inherit all of this. He overcomes, will inherit all of this and I will be his God and he will be my son. Heaven is real. The story isn't over till we get into the kingdom and we need to be looking forward to that we've had the illustration I know that you've heard of the tapestry if you've ever looked on a tapestry on one side is a beautiful work of art on the back side a random collection of chaotic strings and threads that don't make any sense we're on the back side of the tapestry but one day's coming that we'll be on the front side and everything will be made right we're not there yet but we're headed to the city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Heaven is a real place. And in that day, everything of pain will be banished. There is an ultimate remedy. It's called heaven. You ought to want to go there. Second, Jesus suffers with us. The Bible says today he's on the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. Now, there's a term that I want to use, but I want to explain it first so it's not misunderstood. Have you ever heard someone say, suck it up or suck up? Well, let me explain what that word means. It's a shortened derivation of suck up your chest. It means push your chest out and stand up and fight, hold your ground. Compose yourself, bear your troubles, stand tall and proceed. I didn't know any other way to say this, but Jesus doesn't just tell me to suck it up. He says, I will walk with you while you're battling the trial. You're not doing this on your own. It's not in your own strength. I will walk with you. He puts limits to suffering as we can see in the life of Job. There are certain things that nothing can get to us that God doesn't allow for a reason that honors his name and glory. And today there is healing, hope, cleansing, and renewal. All of that is available to us because God walks alongside us and we don't go through it alone. I remember the comments that were made in the Twin Tower tragedy. Where is God? And someone wrote a poem where God says, I was with them in the hallway that collapsed. I was with them in the building that was on fire. He feels our pain. He intercedes for us. He walks alongside us. We don't go through a single storm that he's not in the boat with us, which means there is an answer for us, a remedy, and that remedy is found in Jesus Christ. 
and he will bring us home. He will bring us safely home if we will trust him. I can't tell you today that all your suffering will go away, but I will tell you, I know the captain of the ship, and we're going to make it through to the other side. And in this broken world, there's a day when everything will be made right. And for the child of God, the answer is that Jesus can be trusted. This is a trial period that we have to overcome and be victorious in our place in the kingdom in the future will be based on how we respond to the leading of the Holy Spirit here and how we overcome the attacks that come against us. We can have new life now and glorified life then. Redemption is the ultimate remedy. It gives the solution to sorrow and pain. And here's what I do know. I've walked through dark roads like you have. And what I've discovered is he's always been there with me. I've never walked alone. I've never walked alone. And I know it's been published and quoted and sung and merchandised and marketed to make it almost irrelevant, but the poem Footprints in the Sand is a powerful one. There are two sets of footprints as we walk together, and then there was a single set of footprints, and God, where were you in the darkest times of my life when I needed you the most? Your footprints are gone, and God says those times, those set of footprints went down to one because those were the times that I carried you. You didn't walk alone. There's something about the love of God that's revealed in the suffering that he comes alongside us and he lifts us and sets boundaries around and what does he do? He gives supernatural joy. He gives supernatural peace. He puts us in a place that we will be made stronger and victory on the other side and weeping may endure for the night but for the child of God that weeping in the night changes to joy in the morning and it is joy unspeakable and full of glory that cannot be experienced any other way. It's victory for the child of God. We can't look at one another and say, what'd you do wrong because of the way that you have struggled? But together, we're finding out what it means to live on the victory side. I read about an atheist soap manufacturer and a pastor who are walking down a street in a large city. The soap manufacturer was talking to the pastor and he said, the gospel you preach hasn't done much good, has it? There's still a lot of wickedness in the world and a lot of wicked people too. Look around you. What good has your gospel done? There is still so much wickedness. Pastor said to the soap manufacturer, saw a homeless child dirty and sitting by the side of the road. And he said, you produce the best soap in the world. Is that right? He said, yes, our soap will clean anything. We have all different kinds. There's anything our soap can't clean. It's the best in the world. And he looked at the soap manufacturer and said, if your soap is so good, why is that child still dirty? And the soap manufacturer said, well, you can't. You can't say that. The soap won't do any good until it's applied. That'll preach. You see, we've gotten this all wrong. The solution is Jesus. If this whole world walked in harmony with him, all of our suffering would go away because there's a day coming that it will go away. And Jesus lived among us and suffered to show us there's a path to victory. And while we understand that there is a day coming, the way of the Christian is the best way to live. But you cannot 
have an answer to suffering until the solution of redemption is applied. That's our answer. Have you applied the remedy? Suffering calls for a savior. Suffering does not diminish who he is, but demonstrates how much we need him. The Bible says in Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over in the presence of my enemies. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He's the solution. So if you're here this morning without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you have no help. You walk alone. You're by yourself. And I'm so sorry for that. My heart breaks for you because there is one who will lift you, who will set parameters, who will show you how to win, who will get you to the top of the mountain. There is a remedy, but that remedy is only found in Jesus Christ. Pastor Nathan, would you come? I want you to consider this final quote. Someone would ask, How can God exist when there is so much ugliness? Here's my response. How can God not exist when there is so much beauty? (laughs) Oh, you're looking at the wrong thing. Do you know there are abusive parents? That doesn't mean that all parents are abusive. Do you know there are broken homes? That doesn't mean that all homes are broken. Do you know there are murders? That doesn't mean everyone's a killer. That's like saying to someone, I don't trust you because of what I heard on the news tonight. No, I am my own person and I can't be judged by someone else's behavior. You're judging God by what broken people do. Look, look at what God does with broken people. And the answer is, if God is so good, Why is there so much suffering? It's because God sent his son to die on the cross and rise from the dead and offer us new life. Why is there so much suffering? Because the free gift of God has been rejected in a broken world. And in this time of free will, there are consequences from that. But don't judge it by what the devil does with people judge it by what Jesus does with people and he changes their lives so if you're here this morning without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ in the chapel online in the balcony I don't know um, I'm not going to assume that I know anything about anyone but just for a moment with heads bound and eyes closed if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ This would be a morning for you to say, this world is too big and too dark and too ugly for me to walk alone. Because of the pain and suffering in the world, I want to follow him. You're not a Christ follower, and today you're going to make that decision. Would you just slip up your hand so I could pray for you? Anyone in the house, thank you. Anyone else this morning, slip up your hand. You're going to begin a journey with Jesus. You're going to begin a journey with Jesus. Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you. Anyone else? Real quickly, I don't want to hurry this moment. 
God's moving in the house. He wants to bring beauty out of ashes, joy out of pain, healing out of suffering. Right, everyone, if you would, pray this prayer with me out loud. And those of you that raise your hand, if you'll pray this prayer, not the words itself, but the meaning, if you'll mean that, he will hear you and plant new life on the inside of you. Dear Lord Jesus, I recognize that I've failed. I can't do this on my own. I ask you to forgive me and cleanse me of my sin. I believe that you died on the cross so I could be forgiven. I believe you rose from the dead so that I could have newness of life. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for making me new. And I commit myself to follow you all the days of my life. In your name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer and meant it, God put life on the inside of you. Let's give God praise this morning. And I don't know if we have that slide back there for um, text and grow. Do we have that? Could you put that up for me? We want to connect with you. We want to interact with you. And if you prayed that prayer, invited Jesus in your life, if you'll text the word grow to 77411. We want to interact with you and walk with you on this journey. Just simply text the word GROW to 77411 or write a note and leave it in the offering box on your way out. I have a second part that I want to do this morning. And again, with heads bowed, eyes closed, I just wonder how many are here this morning in a place of fiery trial that has pushed you beyond your ability to make sense. And God is speaking to your heart right now. You're in a tough, tough place. I just want you to lift up your hands so that we can pray for you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hands going up all around. Here's what I want you to know. You're in a fiery trial and Jesus is the victory giver. You can trust him and we're praying for you that God will lead you forward. Don't give up, don't despair. Continue to follow him. And as you walk with him, joy will come. Hear me this morning. Joy will come in the morning. Don't despair, don't give up. Don't think it's strange. Just keep walking and he'll bring you to a place of joy. Let's stand together and let's take a moment just to love the Lord who died for us.
are the true joy giver. I'm not suggesting that we should want to suffer. But charismatic Pentecostals have been notorious to try to create a faith that eliminates pain. And in doing so, we we alienate people who are suffering. The reality is, we are not going to live a life that will be free from any trial. But Jesus has paved a path to victory. You can overcome in spite of it. There is a source, he's the solution, and there's victory for the child of God. Amen. If you love him, let me hear your hands. Again, thank you for your giving. Thank you for your support. Thank you for being here. And uh, go enjoy some shade space and get some ice cream. God bless.